You are now listening to Well, Well, Filling Out. Oh my, oh my God, did she just murder him? <laughs> oh no, his penis. Misandry. <laughs> yes, Misandry. Oh, poor man. Ladies, serial killers are the best. Well, she's never going to get that stain out. Nothing says it's over like running over your ass. It had to be a woman. It had to have been a woman. Are you wearing it? Wait, how big were her breasts? <laughs> Hey guys, hey. Uh, if you're gonna ask if we saw any of the photos, the answer's yes. It was your idea to put this trolling ass song on, so I don't know why you're faking the funk. Don't try to convince the listeners that you are a decent person to me in the studio and not trolling me for hours over the fact that uh, apparently Nico Palastri's not fucking dead. Spoiler, spoiler, fucking spoiler. I thought that the photos were doctored at first. Oh no. No, no, no. Um, Nico, he is uh, staying alive. Staying alive. That is killing our science. Uh, <laughs> look, I, the magic of the hats. I said, what is this? Why is Nico Palastri alive? And why was the first thing I saw when I went to the motherfucking timeline? Oh, this guy alive. I saw a RoboCop, Nico. I was like, y'all doing a lot. Y'all, y'all, y'all took this. This theory, y'all, y'all ran with it. Y'all, y'all went to the It's hills. not a theory, it's a fact. So just stop it. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why you're trying to be so theatrical when you are just trying to get me to cue your second trolling song. And I just will. I'm over here dancing and I'm doing like that, you know, that dance from the Roxbury's where, you know, you do like the neck Anyone motion. who's seen you know SNL who from the 90s you know who knows can't do what that dance. dance. Nico can't do that dance. Oh, I don't know. Killing Eve Science says the bitch is still alive, so he might be able to do that dance. By the time the Poland ICU doctors are done with him because they're performing life-saving measures. They got Doogie Hauser. They got motherfucking... They I was trying to think of them. what doctor from Grey's Anatomy works on next, but whoever, whatever doctor has amazing superhero skills, apparently is also in Poland. Apparently, the truck that was needed, the one person that works there, was able to get to Nico and no time flat. No time flat! I guess Eve did not pull it out like she did for Villanelle. She left it in there. She held the wound. Right. And hopefully Nico was conscious the whole time cursing her name. And I he guess to he probably... Gemma was right, Eve! <laughs> Gemma was right! Do you think he used his Babushka's address so that he could get access to the free healthcare? <laughs> I think he's barely conscious right now. He doesn't have to do paperwork. Oh, She's trying to like, put on the white. I would prefer to think that the town's small enough that they know the gossip, actually. Doesn't look like it's a very populated area, so that's what I'm going with. Do you want to see the bartender crying at his bedside? <laughs> don't want to see anything by his bedside. Cut the song because I'm sick of it. Sick of it. It's done. Woo! But yeah, I saw you for Pena. It, it it took a lot of us uh, for a ride. It it knocked a few of us for a loop. Um, varying reviews, at least that I've heard. Some uh, more positive than than others, but still, I mean, lots of stuff went down. Crazy, crazy, crazy ride for our beloved Oksana, or um, <laughs> assassin Vox. formerly known as Oksana. <laughs> because I don't know. I think it's assassin formerly known as Villanelle, because she is tripping. Yeah, there's, She's there's... either Oksana or Voxana right now, but she is not the Villanelle that we met in season one. Right. Definitely like not. That. Definitely not. Voxana with the worlds colliding and whatnot. 
oh, I will later on down the line, we'll, we'll muse as far as, you know, where she's trajectory headed and how stable she may or may not be and what that could, <laughs> what, what that could spell for people trying to woo her into their, I don't know, clutches, graces, mm-hmm. asking for favors on or off the record. I mean, it's hard to get a regular Villanelle to sit still. So imagine a shaky one. So this, this could spell, I don't know, danger, maybe. For somebody trying what? to get too close? There's danger for anyone who is in a grabbable distance <laughs> of Villanelle. Yes. She is already unpredictable. And so this just means that I really think she could yoke somebody up. And I would like to see Fighter Villanelle come out where she is busting heads. I, I would like to see it. And I did have a, I thought, a more fun and appropriate song to jaunt into this snack with. But Terrence deprived me. I just want you guys to know that. Maybe I will try to sneak it in to one of my muses (laughs) or final takes. But yeah, that's this is what happened. I was forced to come into this episode listening to Staying Alive. I was like, have you seen these photos? What is love? What is love? What is life? What At this point, what what, is life? life? Lots of people at... uh, at the end of what episode five, depending on how fast forward or flash forward we're doing, uh, there'll be a lot of people asking what is life or what it's worth or, you know, what's it all for? I'm not sure what you mean by flash forward. Um, you know, we, we never, rarely, we rarely pick up right where we left off episode by episode. So there's always like a period that happens, whether it's a couple of days, a week or two. It's, we never get to understand what happens immediately Oh, the after. passage of time. Right. Well, yeah. Instead, we get title cards for the location and the name of the character. Maybe you guys could just footnote a timestamp somewhere down there <laughs> or release the scripts if the times are in there so we can figure it the fuck out. You know, that, that actually would be fun. A Killing Eve script breakdown. Um, speak for yourself. This isn't Gentleman Jack. <laughs> Gentleman Jack has historical references. I'm not suggesting that I want to read scripts on the podcast. I'm just saying if that script has a time of day, like noon on this day to set the scene, I would take it for those purposes only. Certain lines I don't need to see. Like I don't need to see the action Eve drops to her knees. I don't need <laughs> to see any of it. But yeah, guys. So as I've indicated on Twitter, as time has passed, and I've marinated fully on the episode. Like I said in the recap, my feelings were evolving on what was happening on Are You From Pinna? And that is exactly what has gone on. And ultimately, I have come to a better place with it all, particularly after reading some interviews and things that confirm some of what I was thinking, other things they leave into the abstract, which is also good for my theories. And fattening up the characterization of Villanelle's character is never going to be a bad thing because we always want to know more about her. It's just sort of like, okay, what shades and colors are they showing us? And I thought I was going to be having an overall better time. Yeah. Even though it was going to be sad, but the Nico exposure by Killing Eve. I just sort of feel like that that gif, that moment from Pitch Perfect where she's like, enough, enough. I just, I, if they keep on with this nonsense, you guys are not going to see me online in the final week before the finale. I think I might opt out because I just would like for something to be left for the moment. And if they're dropping scenes and things that could give away a major plot point for the finale, I might try to just like abandon you all and avoid it i'm not saying i will because you know me i could totally have a completely different opinion on this next week or tomorrow but right now i'm like i don't know maybe i would maybe i would like to be in the darkness for once because that's how scarred traumatized and rocked that i am that nico palastri is still alive like what do you think they were trying to combat like an exodus what no (laughs) <laughs> I think they I were mean, trying to surprise the audience, but they took an L on that because they released the photo. So I actually don't understand these marketing 
things by killing Eve because it seems to me that it's a, it's a better surprise to leave Nico not being dead alive. I certainly wonder what my reaction would have been in real time and having to see him in that hospital room. I'm sure the scream would have been heard around the city, let alone the globe. But we'll never know that organic reaction. I'm just going to be looking for the scene in which he returns, which is kind of fucking shitty. And of all the photos they could have released, it was bad enough that they were like, yes, the lady in red is here, which I was happy to know. But that's a major thing. It's the first fucking scene. And now you're also telling me Nico's alive. What other major reveals are left? We know Dasha and Eve meet up. And so it's literally just lines and fine lines matter. But it just some of these situational things, I would like for them to remain a surprise. And I don't know why. So that's why I'm thinking right now I might exit for the season finale, exit the interwebs, but who knows? Who knows? I might be too desperate and feral come episode seven to keep to that. But that's my thoughts right now because I just was not happy to be greeted by all the spoilers on a fucking Wednesday from Killing Eve that gave away a decent amount. That is true. And I, it's it's an interesting approach. It's an interesting approach. I don't like the approach. If anyone from Killing Eve comes across this, less, less clips, please. Less clips, less clips. And pictures, please. Less. Or if you're going to do it, do it on Saturday. Wait. You know what I'm saying? Do it on Friday. Do it on Saturday so that we don't have to see it right away and then have the whole freaking week of expectation. What if they're doing it on the Wednesday to uh, pre, like, preempt those who may be doing it on Friday? But you don't make any sense. When you say they, I presume you mean the press. So wouldn't Killing Eve have to give the press the resources they use? So they gave it to them or they gave them permission, as you have to, with rights to use it. So no one who's writing about Killing Eve or posting photos about Nikos just appeared, just appeared on their hard drive. No. Someone from the Killing Eve press department or AMC was like, look at these images for episode six. And so that's what has me confused is who's making those decisions. I feel like HBO would never make these decisions for Game of Thrones. Like they're like, here's two pictures. Best of luck to you. And then sometimes HBO would be like, these two pictures aren't even relevant to the episode. (laughs) I mean, they're not from the episode. They're relevant to the episode but they're not from the episode. So I would just like a little bit of the mystery to return to Killing Eve, a little bit of the anticipation. I love anticipation. It's fine. I'm, I'm good with the ride. Um, yeah. But this rant could all just be because I'm super, super salty that Nico is still alive. But in my muses, I will try to come up with a way to be right. okay with it or see where it could go that I could find at least moderately, moderately tolerable. So uh, as we, you know, chomp on... Uh, as we jump on that news, what will Yo, I need a transition? Watching you struggle yeah, so to transition gonna, every not, week right. is hilarious. Um, I'm not good at this. Why don't you just tell them the next or the first segment? Yes. So uh, since <laughs> we, I know I'm not doing. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um. So let's just go into corrections. <laughs> yes, let's. It's the correction segment. Wow, did we totally fuck that up? Did we? I mean, I hope that did. did I think we did. Yeah. And this is why we have snack episodes. All right. So I'm guessing the first. And the first correction, correction is obvious. <laughs> it's obvious. It's for both of us. It's yeah. for the whole fandom. Probably. Probably. Right. Uh, Nico. Nico. Nico Plastri. Currently of Poland. He is alive. He's he is alive. breathing. He is on a ventilator. I. <laughs> I, Maybe Chilling Eve was trying to tell us so we wouldn't listen. I'm just trying to figure out how Villanelle can perfectly hit a woman in the forehead and she is dead instantaneously. But Nico has a pitchfork 
through his esophagus. It's and not a clean pitchfork either. Listen, the geniuses of Poland were like, look, this is my time. This is my time. I will shine. Watch what I can do as a doctor. And Dasha, fucking retire, bitch. I, you said, are so low I on the totem, Dasha. Dasha, you have nothing. Right. You have nothing. You have nothing. You have nothing. This is why Jamie and Eve and them are so perplexed. She still got it. Got what? Not the murder, bitch, because this was a failure. This was an F. Unless this was your desired goal, which I can't see how, Dasha. I can't see how. This is what you wanted to do. I just see you as taking a big giant L. Someone troll Dasha. Can Villanelle do it? Can Lady in Red do it? Can someone, please, please, please. Just, just approach Dasha and be like, I'm getting tired of your shit. Just, just do that. And I'll be so excited. I just, I want (laughs) to, the lady in red would be great because of how she was like, Dasha, Dasha. She had that Jess energy. Right. But you're a good liar, aren't you? And I just need for someone to be like, bitch, this is why you're not back in Russia. This is why. This is why you're at the level you're at. Because how do I tell you to take care of this effectively and you stick a pitchfork through a motherfucking neck and he lived. He lived, bitch. Now, maybe Dasha will go back and snuff that fool out. In the ICU, I don't know. I don't know. Here's hoping, um, like wishing and yeah, hoping, hoping. <laughs> and praying that Dasha finishes her homework. <sighs> but, you know, who knows? Who knows? And that is the end of that first and epic, epic correction. And it's so sad because I already have another epic correction. But hey, Killing Evil's like, oh, bitch, you, oh, oh, you thought you were done with the clown makeup, bitch. You thought it was time to put the kit away. You thought, <laughs> you thought you were winning? No, bitch. So um, it's the return of the clown makeup contour, you guys. My jester hat will be back Sunday. I took it off. I had a little New York cap on last week. I thought I could just blend into my new Villanelle fuckboy aesthetic. But no, no, no. The clownery is back. So so will my jester hat because that's where I am. That's where I'm living. That's where they have me. Well, uh, it's a little obvious from my correction. <laughs> I tried to categorize my lovely lady Villanelle. I mean, she's tough and she's strong. You know, she's 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 got skills. But you know, I, I never really wanted to put her in the category of fighter. I I, did, I didn't want to do that. Yes, in the book, she learned how to fight from a father. But guess what? Thanks to Are You From Pinna? It's canon in the TV series. Her father taught her how to fight. She was throwing really good punches. It's true. They're baby true. photos to prove it. She was punching her brother. I was about to call him. Uh, I was about to call. I'm, it's like I'm. I'm not. I can't do it. Look, it's Papi Chula Papi with the bangs. With the bangs. I already bangs. gave you that name. Yes. So you could figure your true. fucking life out. I wish it's you true. would, sir. <laughs> it's true. I, I'll eventually get that name down pat. Some version. One of day. It, but I yeah. feel like that day exists on an alternate earth. But <laughs> I'm so glad you're optimistic. So is it time for my next correction? Ooh. Oh, yes. All right. So my next correction, I'll switch it up since it's kind of in line with what you just said, has to do with also the same topic. Villanelle as a fighter. As I was raging and screaming in the recap about Villanelle hasn't been a fighter because I really am just desperate for hand-to-hand combat with women. I neglected to say the closest we've come to that besides the car wash bashing episode in series two was Prison Villanelle towards the end of series one. And I still wouldn't say she got into fights per se, because she really didn't when she had to face off against Olga. Like, it was barely a fight. I still would put her into the category of assassin because every move she did was designed to just get around her like a kitty cat on her back and then bite her jugular out like a savage. Which she did. She sure did. She really, really excelled. And then, of course... In the situation at the end when she's trying to get Nadia before she ends up in solitary and she provokes our favorite, I don't want to be free. And then gives a wallop (laughs) to the guards and that one guard that was flirting with her. I still think that guard was queer, but she was playing hard to get because Villanelle is such a 
she's such a brat in jail that if you were to if you were the prison guard, even if you would break filling out off a little something, that bitch would have to wait like two, three months. With her attitude, you're like, you you're gonna have to be literally frothing at the mouth, ho, for these prison. Oh uh, yeah, I, I could see um, that. These prison I was about to say you, prison strokes, but that's you, it's the time. Lord. You know? <laughs> I don't You give a girl like that an inch, she's gonna take a mile and then she's gonna embarrass you in front of your coworkers. Like I got no. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Oh wait, do you mean Villanelle? Yes. <laughs> I was just picturing like the orphan black scenario <laughs> where it gets quickly out of control because well, it really depends. See, I don't and this is not right for villainy fans, but I was like, it really would depend on who was the like whose aggression mm, won out mm-hmm, in that situation. Mm. Both Villanelle and her would be bringing top energy. I'm just going to say that if I had to invent a story for that one particular prison guard, I'm just going to say she is retired military and she's out of the game because she did a lot of fuck shit and she's over the stuff. She wants a cakewalk job, which is why she's at the prison because ultimately it is, but she still has to deal with these types of women. But she's a she's a big game out. And so she doesn't mind the sights, but sometimes these girls, woo, these girls. <laughs> so, so she... <laughs> She has skills. She's like G.I. Jane, you know, like Demi Moore. Was she, was she that movie? I know I just invented this whole freaking story to but say I'm that. It. That prison villanelle being closest to Oksana, I will then say that the best person to show me a fighting villanelle, which is unsurprising ultimately, it's Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And she didn't even intend it. Actually, she probably intended everything she did. I'm just going to say that that is the only time I can say that it would be something I could see villanelle doing on a regular basis, fighting people, is how she was in the prison Period. If she stayed in prison, um, I'd watch that show. If both her and Eve ended up in prison and suddenly were in a new show and it's like <laughs> Assassin's Black. I don't I don't know what they would call it. I don't know how you would name this show. I'm just saying I would watch a Dark Eve. Oh, yes. And a feral villanelle who is feral with other people, but chill only with Eve in jail. But like those kind of jails where they throw away the key, it's done for you. And so it's where they got the baddest bitches. And so, you know, shit is turning up and no one even cares about the safety because they're like, well, we don't give a damn about these citizens. And potentially it's in some random Eastern European country. So you're like, I don't know what these rules are. And they're just living life. Hey, if somebody wants to write that fan fiction or create that show, hey, just want you to know, I'm into it. I'm into it. Saving Eve because she get run up on because she washing her hair in the shower. She thought she was by herself. See, like I like the way you think, but I also imagine, like especially because it's Dark Eve Rising, that Eve is a bit of a problem. Because if we go with some, and this is complete alternate reality stuff, but why not? If we go with a Dark Eve that has a taste of the darkness and then she like, you know, she's a little bit addicted. She would be the type of bitch, especially if they're in jail and there's no fucks left to give. So there's no, there's no pretense to have. You're caught. Everyone knows what you're doing. So you're just like out. I think Eve would just be killing bitches for the fun of it. You know, someone's like, yo, give me a piece of that scrambled egg. And she's like, take this plastic fork to your throat. And the guard is like, again, plastry. (laughs) I mean, you are saving us money, bitch, but damn. Her only visitor would be Carolyn. Villanelle's like, Eve, what did I tell you about killing people before 12? <laughs> I've just gone so far in my fantasy. I think it's part of my coping mechanism for Nico Someone being alive. Someone make it canon. See, this is a spinoff I would watch. I would definitely I'm just watch saying this. I want to see bad prison bitches in jail. And there, there's vis-a-vis. There's other shows that have existed. I just need for someone to really go all in. Like how it was on 60 Days In. I told you with, you know, they, we went to the woman's jail and it was completely different from the dude's jail because half the bitches were gay and the other half were heteroflexible for the stay. So it's something. 
Okay, let me leave a sliver for the 2%. That was like, oh my God, it is way too gay in here. But 48% were heteroflexible for the stay. And I just would like for someone to revisit that concept, not the orange black way. Because it would need to be violent because I would want like, you know, um, maximum security for women. Because those women, those have our misandrist that was killing men. Right. In the height of climax. climax they have right. the one that inspired Phoebe all the bridge just taking dudes out for snitching. So those women, like those, I don't even know what the plot needs to be. Does it need to be a plot? Who really knows? Just come up with it. But that show, for anyone listening, I would watch it. I would support it. I would dedicate a podcast to it. I'm just, just going to say. Eve writing letters to Nico, which he won't read. But it's Villanelle like, give it up. Just stop. Oh, God. <laughs> just stop. In jail? Right. Oh, Lord. Like, just stop. He's not going to get them. You don't even have an affording address. Villanelle calling a radio station in Poland to be like, I would like to dedicate The Girl Is Mine to Nico Palastri. <laughs> get the picture, bitch. Oh. But yes, that, that was the end of my correction. Do you have another one? Uh, Yes. Okay. I, for reasons unknown, thought that the photo album was like something that was like buried or hidden somewhere but it was actually just on a loft and he was like yeah i found it and yeah even though her pictures were still in the back so they were still kind of hidden the album itself was not hidden so that was my bad oh radio and this last correction wow you guys major 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 groceries for me and it has to do with the lady in red and gosh i don't even know what to say my only defense is that there were no accents when i was reading this name i i really did not know that it was supposed to be the french version of helen and she says her name she does say her name in the clip and i was like oh my 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 here's me for two weeks screaming at the top of my lungs helene and that isn't it. It's kind of like when I was saying Susan and our lovely listeners in the live were like, Candace, it's Susan. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so, Ellen. Ellen is the lady in red. That's what is happening. I appreciate all of you French listeners. Shout out to Laura. <laughs> One of the people was like, sweetie, sweetie, we just want you to be taking W's in life, not L's when it comes to pronunciations of names. And writing in and being like, hey, it's Helen. Helen in French, let it roll off your tongue. So, Helen, 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 Helen. You guys, Helen, I'm sorry. And for all you French bitches out there who laughed and got your life, I hope you enjoyed it. Still love you guys. Thank you. Still thank you. you thank you and good night. But you know what? I don't even know if Elaine's going to be around. I don't know if she's going to be here. I don't know if she's going to be here. Especially with that, what have you done? <laughs> Shut your fucking... Okay, you already right, know that right. I know what the line is. See, okay. this is, this is how you rub the salt. And I don't know why, just because you're salty about Nico's life, that you are going outward with your trolling. Fate had no right to preserve his... You're acting like Papichulo with the bangs. I need you to act like Burka. Burka? <laughs> he brought that, that damage right, inward. You are putting it outward. Just bang my, my forehead with the fist <laughs> and hope that the mic doesn't pick it up. Oh, my God. That's that's the end. That's my last correction. I'm sure there will be many more to Oof. come next week. And that's so, what I get, actually, for Johnson in last week with a snack. Like, no corrections, muses. I should have known egg was going to be on my face soon enough. So this is us pouting and dragging our feet into the revelation segment. Killing Eve revelations. <laughs> Yo, did that really just fucking happen? I'm dead. All right, I am going to start off because 
we need to start off with something that is actually very, very inspiring for the spiral that we're going to be heading down in the muses. And so we're going to start off with a new goddamn article on Sandra O. Oh from Elle, Canada. I'm sure a number of you have seen this article because photos have been circulating. Sandra O oh posted the photos on her Instagram account. The Killing Eve account eventually shared those photos as well. And if you saw them, you saw that she was looking incredible. I oh, just... yes. In her Insta post, she said she was going for, I believe it was, In the Mood for Love meets Crazy Rich Asians. Do I have that correct? Because I'm going based off her film references, but I could be wrong. Let me check really quickly. Yes, her caption says, My fantasy, in the mood for love meets crazy rich Asians moment. Thank you, El Canada and Team Link on bio. And then she credits all the lovely people who worked on it, hair, makeup, etc. And so I just, just on a nerdy side of it, in the mood for love is one of my favorite cinematography films because it just is so beautiful every fucking frame the color uh, just the silhouettes i could go on and on and on about the visual o's one can get from that film so i i'm not surprised because standard o is just so everything that of course she would reference that and then kill it kill it in the fucking photo so we're gonna link that article in the show notes but as usual and unsurprisingly sandra O oh has given yet another article where she is answering questions giving yes. us some insight into both eve the character as well as sandra O, oh, the person so let's go through it the title of this article is sandra O oh is in a league of her own uh yes yes no lies detected there what makes a woman of character just ask sandra O. Oh. Sandra O oh was leaning out of an alcove in a Santa Monica restaurant. A baker boy hat pulled over her signature multi-tiered hair, asking a waiter for assistance. Could she please have some hot sauce? It's a simple request, but the waiter, grinning, bounces over with a small bowl of some, obviously relishing his role. I got hot sauce in my bag, Sandra O. Oh, here you go. Yes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I understand his enthusiasm. There is an electricity to being in Sandra O's oh universe, even if you're just handing her hot sauce or griping about L.A. traffic, as we just were. The 48-year-old Korean-Canadian clad in wide-leg jeans, a Gucci belt. I know she was, because she always stays styling. And a t-shirt from the play Cambodian rock band seems able to effortlessly connect with people. For example, there's the group of middle-aged women who barely contain themselves when O steps out of the hotel elevator. The teens who are discovering Grey's Anatomy for the first time on Netflix and making Christina Yang TikToks. Uh, and it says an infinite scroll of adoring content about how she will always be their person. Aw. And it's amassed 13.9 million views. Our fashion team from Montreal, who are enamored when O switches to French. Oh, I, oh, I know it. Oh, yes. Oh, I know it. To speak with them the whole time we're on set. And I just, that's a type of politeness that not every single multilingual person does. Right. That you know someone has a native language and you speak it. It is very polite to just switch versus obligating them to speak in English. Like for to her family but that's getting off topic right to speak with them the whole time we're on set and certainly her industry peers who have sent multiple SAG awards and historic Golden Globe wins her way O's charisma crackles in Killing Eve which debuted its third season in April the critically acclaimed multiple award winning thriller documents the obsessive cat and mouse relationship that develops between a professional killer Villanelle and her pursuer rogue MI6 agent Eve Palastri though it features grisly murders committed with poison dipped hairpins and deadly perfumists Killing Eve is fundamentally about a pair of women consumed by their ambition and ultimately the undeniable sparks that fly when two people operating at the top of their game connect. Ooh. These complicated characters aren't easy to like. Well, speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. Yet they are irresistibly compelling and O's is exactly the type she has always excelled at. And they're going down these pictures and just gorgeous. 
In fact, it was playing another thorny and complex woman, Dr. Christina Yang, on the hugely successful medical drama, Grey's Anatomy, that made O a household name. Quote, I decided that I'm only going to play characters that are essential to the plot, that conduct the narrative and therefore can't be cut, she explains. Of course, this crucial step, she adds, is that you have to get to a place in your career where you can say no, end quote. O's commitment to this standard and what she brings to her performance is why Shonda Rhimes, the powerful creator and executive producer of Grey's, openly mourned when O left the show in 2014 after 10 seasons. Quote, I grieve no longer writing for Sandra more than anything because I wouldn't get to see what she would do with it, she explains over the phone. I think she chooses characters and then inserts herself into them. There are plenty of actors who want to be nice or who want to be seen as romantic or who want to be seen as a hero, but Sandra's not interested in that. She's interested in playing the stuff of life, end quote. O has always had clarity about what she wants to do. Though she studied ballet while growing up in Ottawa, her desire to be an actress became all-consuming in high school. She joined improv groups and put on shows for her South Korean parents and with her two siblings when she turned down a scholarship offered by Carleton University and instead attended Montreal's National Theatre School, where she had to pay her own tuition. Her business father and biochemist mother initially found it hard to accept. Lord. Oh, I, I know they did. Just because I have that same story. <laughs> right, okay. I'm getting a full scholarship to a school my mom was really excited about. She's like, Candace, this is what we're doing. This is Ivy League. This is what we worked for. And I'm like, Mom, this is what you've worked for a little bit. So I, I just kind of, I, just, I really feel like I just need to, if I could just, what I'm going to do is, is follow my dreams. And my mom, you guys had a... A breakdown, a, a breakdown. And we have gotten to a place of acceptance and love. And she's like, you bohemian, you live as you please. But there was a time, I tell you, there was a time that she had a full immigrant parent breakdown. And I kind of love that Sandra O oh, is like, oh, my parents, um, right. they, they had they a breakdown. That, right? And then I was able to perform a piece, do a piece to kind of like exercise that. And they were in the audience. It was perfect. I'm jumping Aww. ahead of the article, but I just know that that story is in there. And I love it. The article continues. When I ask how she got the balls to follow her heart, she quickly corrects me, saying she prefers to say eggs. Yes, girl! Yeah. Before adding with a laugh and a shrug. I've always had a large set of eggs. I know you have, Sandra O. Oh. But while accepting a Governor General's Performing Arts Award last spring in Ottawa, O acknowledged that she had struggled to win her parents' approval. Quote, On that NTS stage, I unabashedly performed a skit about me confronting my parents to let me attend the National Theatre School. She said in her speech to laughter from the spectators, I worked out all that family drama in front of an audience while my parents sat in the audience. Thank you, Mom and Dad. <laughs> wow. Public therapy. Artist therapy. So, yeah. How do all the accolades and the enthusiasm for her career feel? O says, quote, It's good to hear that people are excited about what I'm doing, especially in the context of having a career that has spanned... And it has in brackets, she theatrically lowers her voice to a whisper. <laughs> Decades. Girl, I don't know why when the skin, when you the look skin, great. the skin is aging in reverse. You have Angela Bassett powers and somehow. Yes. Yes. But also I say this is the power of the woman and misandry, but that's, I'm not trying to, let me not go down my bias hole of what happens in life. And who I was writing and, is, and will write for O.M. Bassett to be, I don't know. On a project together, I'd watch. Suddenly I'm taken back. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you just said it. And I'm like, I'm taken back to that. I'm pretty sure it was a Hollywood reporter photo spread. Yes. In the year that was the premiere year of Killing Eve. And people finally got their minds right about Sandra Owen putting her places. And I just remember that photo shoot affecting me so deeply because for so many years, as you've heard me say in other Marvel podcasts and things discussing that I have been such a deep Angela Bassett fan. Like deep. When she was out there doing sci-fi films and when nobody paying attention, just Angela Bassett, just like they're plugging along saying, when will the people, when will the masses appreciate her? And so for her to be getting those extra loyal she was getting because it was like, I think it was like the combined thing of like American Horror Story and 911 and of course Sandra Oh. And so they were making the rounds and I was just like, can y'all just, 
where's the agent? Like, right. who's the producer? Where's the producer with the money? Just right. hit Sandra O oh and Angela Bassett in the head with stacks of cash yes. and checkbooks and just say, you guys pick a creator, you guys pick a story, and whatever it is, we're behind it. Right, pick a genre. Like, or whatever. Ryan Murphy. I don't think you were listening to this podcast, but if anyone who knows Ryan Murphy ever hears this, suggest to that man to get Sandra Oh, a guest starring role, and just make it so that she has scenes with Angela Bassett. And if she wants to be a killer or something, like, devious, um, I'm not going to say that. Right. I'm not right? We've never seen Sandra O oh go completely 100% bad, and I'm here for it. She has a horror film on the docket. I don't know what that horror film's gonna have, but if she goes bad there too, so ready. Anyway, let me finish this damn article. Oh, right, she was deadpanning about her time in the business despite her glowing skin. Oh, may deadpan about how long she's been in the business, but she wears her drive, determination, and confidence so comfortably, without apology and without asking for praise. Quote, Sandra is intense when she's playing a role, and I mean that in the best way says Rhymes, explaining that O would come charging into her office every week, script filled with notes, asking countless questions about word choice and character motivation. Quote, it drove me crazy and it made me so happy at the same time, said Rhymes. Sandra wanted to get it as right as possible. She wanted to get it as right as she possibly could. She could elevate anything you wrote. She dives in and cares deeply. You cannot have a superficial conversation with Sandra. Oh, I believe that I shit. I believe that shit. Just a quick call back to the Gay Times UK article and those random humans oh, who oh. interacted with me on Twitter who were like, but she said this. And I tried to explain that Sandra O oh says nothing in a short sentence. It's literally impossible for this bitch since she's been giving interviews to explain herself in one short truncate sentence. It should be obvious to you guys that it is literally impossible for Sandra O oh to explain anything about toast with right. just five lines, let alone right. the character that she has invested herself completely into. So I feel like the core of y'all, the core of y'all knew that you were with us, but there are some people who I hope, you know, just like the queer baiters have decided to fade to the back, <laughs> take their gaucheries and just disappear. Right. Lord. All right. So where was I? Oh, yes. Shonda Rhimes heaping praise. Uh, the depth of O's work shows up in every episode of Killing Eve. On screen, the chemistry between O and Comer is palpable. Quote, I have a very deep connection to her, says O. When we come together, there's a deep amount of trust. We're pushing each other. We trust that space of alchemy between us. See, just the fact that she uses alchemy. Right. Let me stop. Um, she's really confident in her instincts as I am in mine. On the show, Owen Comer's characters may be, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to read, but this picture of Sandra O oh with those heels, it looks like she could murder me with them. And I'm. Oh, they would listen. Well, we were going through this photo spread. It's, look, it's. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Heels like this, for me, only belong in the boudoir. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I can't do life in heels like this. And women who can, I'm always like, I am so impressed by you. But the. This is a prop. Like if someone just had a closet full of this, like these shoes, just like in colors and just right. like <laughs> prop Listen, it a week. I'll, I'll wait for another suitcase to show up in front of her door. And you hear there's something about, about the way <laughs> you are. <laughs> Will Villanelle gift her a pair of these stilettos and be like, step it on would, me, Eve. It would be step so on good. me, Eve. It would be so As good. As Villanelle drops to her knees. Let me stop. I'm never going to get through this article scrolling past these pictures. There are okay. lots of pictures. But that's what we deserve. Right. Because we have been itching for Sandra O oh content and we have been blessed. Okay, where was I? Oh, right. On the show, O and Comer's characters may be equals in their ambition and obsessions, but there is a clear winner when it comes to their signature styles. Comer's Villanelle struts about in Chloe suits and J.W. Anderson jackets, while O's Eve pulls on sensible turtlenecks and windbreakers. It kills me, says O, when I mention the discrepancy. Quote, I go into wardrobe and see that bitch's clothing and I'm like, 
Can I get something above Uniqlo? No. No. <laughs> and we literally I hit this it. dead on. We, we have been joking about how she is in, in the wardrobe thing. And I just know that while Sandra O is taking her super stylish clothes off and they're like, okay, Eve, here's the, um, she's like, oh, okay. So we, uh, it's the, it's the, it's the same. Okay, great. She's laughing, but she's serious about the huge importance of fashion on the show. And they have huge in quotations. So I'm sure, I'm sure Sandra was like, huge. Quote, what are you saying about a character's mindset when she dresses over the top? She asks. Eve's wardrobe subtly but crucially showcases her metamorphosis and how she's influenced by Villanelle's sophisticated style. And I like what she's saying here because we have said privately when I was talking about Eve's jeans or fitted jeans and stuff like that, oh, right. that it is a conscious decision that, of course, Sandra Oh is deeply invested in in terms of showing the evolution of Eve to hopefully, hopefully, hashtag Dark Eve Rising. And she says, quote, Eve is always in neutral basic tones, right? Says O. She's always earthy in a lot of turtlenecks. The beauty is in how she changes. She changes in fabric. She changes in line, in shape. She gets closer to Villanelle, for example. Eve moves from wearing a men's parka to a woman's parka. Her pieces go from being oversized to more fitted. But it's all still in her color palette, so you still keep the character. And there's that picture of her in the orange, which, wow. Wow, is right. Oh, wait, I make the skin pop. And this is a taffeta dress by Valentino. At the time of our meeting in early March, O hadn't posted anything to her Instagram account since October 2019. Her lack of social media proficiency... Oh, <laughs> Adorable, but I already knew. Even just talking about how to use TikTok makes her recoil and slide down her chair with mock fear. Oh, I know. It's like explaining TikTok to my mom. Just get an intern. Means that big news, like her performance at Carnegie Hall with Philip Glass. I love Philip Glass. I, I don't know how many of you film nerds out there are familiar with Philip Glass's repertoire or how many things that this bitch has scored, but he's scored a lot. And one of my favorites is The Hours. I... After oh, I saw that Philip film, Glass? yes, Philip Glass did the hours. I just went to IMDb to see how many credits he has. A hundred soundtrack credits. Oh, okay. That she performed at a show with Philip Glass is really, really cool to me. And it continues, or the announcement of her new show, The Chair, which she stars in and is an executive producer for, didn't show up on her feed for any of her 3.4 million Instagram followers to see. Quote, I know I'm supposed to do something with the pictures, she says, but then I've left it to the next day and I think it's too late. And then a week goes by and it's even later. And who's going to care now? Me, Sandra. I'm going to care. I keep missing the window, <laughs> she finishes. When reminded of a little something called the hashtag TBT. Oh, is that throwback Thursday? Yeah. Okay. Post or a later gram or the ability to post something quickly as an Insta story. She shakes her head and says, I am the classic aunt who can't make things work. <laughs> and then does an imitation. Honey, can you make it work? I don't know what this is. Right. See, <laughs> that's intern. you. That's you. Right. That is me. That's you. That's I'll not be like, me. That's I don't know you. how to do this either, but you know, we're going to figure it out together. That would be me and Sandra. All right. I, should I should I put it on my story? See, I don't think she says figure it out together. I think she's just like, babe, <laughs> babe, make it do the thing. I'm trying to show everyone the photos. All right. Prior to her television career, O flexed her acting muscle in films like, I feel like acting muscle, like muscles, multiple muscles are acquired to be thespians, but in films like Last Night, Sideways, The Diary of Evelyn Lau, and more recently got to show her delightful sense of humor on Saturday Night Live and at the 2019 Golden Globes, when she hosted alongside Andy Samberg. She was the first Asian American to host a show, and it has in parentheses, Sandra's quote, it really, really terrified me, but that was the reason I did it. Lately, much has been made in the representation conversation about minority actors being cast in roles that are essentially, quote, colorblind, effectively removing the stereotype that only someone who looks a certain way can play a lead role, and opening up opportunities for POC to play roles outside the typically typecast ones. Quote, but I'm in a place in my career now where I am specifically interested in roles that explore a character's race, says O, because I can... 
and because I want our conversations to eventually move to a place that recognizes that it's important. Let's say it's a show about a fashion magazine and the editor's black. You can't just write this character without having the background of who she is, but that has been the primary storytelling for as long as we've been around. That one-dimensional approach makes little sense because we all know how often a person's race or culture influences their choices or way of navigating the world. Asian Americans, particularly for my generation, almost recoil if we hear an accent on screen because of how laden in racism and misunderstanding it is. Whoa! Shout out okay. to you, Breakfast at Tiffany. Shout out to you, Breakfast at Tiffany. Shout out to you. And how it's a result of not being in charge of the story, she says. Oh, pauses for thought. Oh, I know she did. This sentence. <laughs> oh, pauses for thought and reflects on a shift she's excited to see happening. Younger actors who carry their accent. Quote, if you are Korean American and from Los Angeles, you have an accent but they aren't trying to flatten their accent like I have, she says. They are just carrying that into the character of, say, a doctor. That's how we get the shift. We don't want to just have a person of color acting the way a white person would act because they're not. They're not. Exclamation point. And so much truth here from Sandra O. Oh, but of course. O oh believes that she is part of a generation of actors, writers, and directors who have the opportunity and the burden, admittedly, to be constantly teaching in that regard. Quote, I'm happy to take that on, she says. Rhymes backs this up. Quote, it was a very unspoken thing for us on Grays. You don't have to have that conversation with another woman of color about being a woman of color and being the first anything because you both know what that feels like, okay. she says. So we were very cognizant of the responsibility we had. And there were many moments when Sandra was really brave and instructive. As we finish our breakfast, O pushes her empty coffee cup away and reflects on her drive for her work. Quote, as you mature, you look for meaning, you look for connection to the world, she says. You're working for purposefulness. And if you can get that from your work, what a blessing. Oh, that's so great. And that is the end of that article. And it was a longer, lengthier article, but I was happy to see it because Sandra O oh needs these lengthy articles. And I don't know if it's possible to not have a lengthy one with her if you actually do a decent interview because of how her answers are always crafted, which is with thought and nuance. And I just liked everything she said here, particularly being an actress of color and really just sort of um, parroting what I've heard from many of my faves who are in her age range, who are also actors of color, who are just sort of like they've stepped into the place of confidence and knowing to be like, actually, I'm interested in telling stories more specific to my thing. And every time I read a thing about is Gina Torres about to get cast in a role as a, an actual Spanish speaking person, a tear wells up in my eye. I've not had it yet, but I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm like, yo, Gina Torres will play a Cuban, mustn't she? Mustn't she? Sorry, guys, that's Terrence knows that's my long time. I, mean, I literally have been waiting for Gina Torres to speak Spanish in a role since I was in high school. So, you know, it's been a minute. It really has. And it's so important for thespians to especially immigrant thespians who have a, a subculture to their big PLC box. You know, where everyone's like, Sandra O's Asian, but specifically, she's Korean. And so when you make characters for her, craft that shit specifically right. to her Korean background. And, you know, I would ask of that for everyone. Kind of like how Sarah Shahi, she, I don't know why she's the first one that came to mind, but when she was first on the L where she played a Mexican. And, right, that was uh, gotcheries for, for, for Spanish-speaking <sighs> people, gotcheries for Mexicans and gotcheries for herself because she is Iranian, I want to say. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she is... Iranian, maybe with like some Spanish background. But the point is, I didn't see Sarah Shahi playing an actual person of Iranian descent until she was on Person of Interest. 
with Root and Shaw, where she was playing her actual ethnic background. And I don't know that it's that difficult, since most people who are writing scripts are multilingual anyway, that you could just switch it. If you're like, oh, this person is, is Mexican, but the actress isn't, let me just switch to her thing. And if you can't do that, you need to ask yourself why. Because I know that unless it was a Mexican person writing a story, the ethnicity can't be as important as you actually think it is. Oh, I agree. Just a guess. But yeah, that was the end of that revelation, uh, first one, because it was a great one. Well, all right. As a reminder, there's an Ask Me Anything that is open on the Reddit for those who are interested <laughs> in having a conversation with the Owen McDonald. Yeah, my new question is, Owen, did they give you the scripts for episode five and six and seven <laughs> at the same time? Or did they just give you episode four and then were like, um, TBD? <laughs> like, because imagine if you Owen and you're like, oh, I'm dead. And you have to wait a whole week or two before they give you the next script. They're like, you have a delivery from Sid Gentle Film. She's like, he's like, Sid Gentle. I, but I thought we were, I thought we were right. done. I, I thought we were I, done. They told me I was. They're like, ha ha, gotcha. Gotcha, Owen. And then he was like, oh yeah, I did shoot some scenes after that that I didn't see, but I don't know what to do with that. And it's like, well, how many of these I scenes? blocked it from that article <laughs> that we read from him. Oh, actually, no, we never found it that time we were looking for articles, but someone sent it to me after the fact. But yeah, we might actually have more questions beyond which toe of Gemma's did you <laughs> eat after episode six airs, so... Keep that in mind. Okay. And this article that is from Showbiz Cheat Sheet. Um, let's see here. Killing Eve. How Oksana's family shows Villanelle's vulnerable side. All right. And it reads. Oh, yeah. This is the Suzanne. <laughs> well, one of these Suzanne interviews. Yes. And it begins. It's been a tough season of Killing Eve. Even Villanelle needs a vacation. So she went and visited her family. <laughs> The fifth episode of Killing Eve's third season spent an hour with her family, and she spent an hour as Oksana. Season three showrunner Suzanne Heathcote spoke with Showbiz Cheat Sheet by phone and <laughs> Showbiz Cheat Sheet by phone about the episode. Killing Eve airs Sunday at 9 p.m. I don't need to do that. How is that there? <laughs> Killing Eve gave Suzanne Heathcote free reign to write about Villanelle's family. Heathcote discussed her plans for visiting Villanelle's family with everyone when she got the job. So they all knew what they were getting. Oh, so she's like, I jaunted into this job. Like, <laughs> Villanelle will have a standalone episode and there's nothing you can do about it. Sid Gentle, <laughs> the production company, were really amazing, Heathcote said. I said pretty early on <laughs> that that was an episode I wanted to write and I wanted it to be a standalone episode. See, isn't that what I said yeah. in the recap? Yeah. I knew it. They really let me come up with them. They were very supportive. That Shannon Murphy who directed that episode was amazing. Really amazing. She, Joni, and myself, we talked about it a lot. They were very supportive, BBC America, and said gentle with that episode. I would certainly hope the fuck so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the showrunner has the final word, but when you come in for season three, you also have to respect what came before. <laughs> the reality is we've never really seen any backstory in the first two seasons, he said. So it was somewhat blank page and they knew that. Which is why they sort of said, I have free reign in that sense. Um, yeah, I'm well, sure. All right. and that's, okay. a, that's, a, that's a way to look at it. But I would also say we didn't really get much of a backstory for anyone. Like, I'm still desperate for Carolyn's 70s thoughting years because right. I just feel like the story's in there. Her and Julia, what's going on there? But okay. Yes. That's a crazy flashback, which could lead to a spinoff series. But you know what? Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just just leave that idea over there. Sit gentle. Like, that. that's where the idea is going to just sit. Right there. Right there. Villanelle is herself with her family. Villanelle is always unpredictable and enigmatic. Oksana kind of still is, but visiting her Russian family let the audience see her true self. It was important for all of us that Villanelle still remained mysterious and enigmatic. I, I guess I'll wait for the muses, but sentences like true self 
it's yeah. uh, it's just weird for me because even if I say I'm not putting up an artifice, I'm not putting up some sort of, you know, play or playing pretend when I see my family, they can't see all the sides of me because they wouldn't draw it all out. Right. So how could it be my truest self or my true self if they're not seeing all my sides? That's just, I just wanted to put that out there. No, it's the truth. And I agree. Oversimplified, and oversimplified statements like that. Just, you, you get what like people them. draw out of you, regardless of the interaction. If they get your nice side out, it's because they're being nice to you. And if they are on some fuck shit or whatever, maybe you then will give because them Because I just sort of feel like if match. she's trying to put meat and validation beyond what the villainy fans were screaming about from series one, which is that Villanelle has emotion. She feels emotion. Literally, Jodie Comer has been hovering tears in her eyes from the first series. So none right. of that is brand new. That it just, it feels a little disingenuous to the work done by Phoebe Waller-Bridge and, and the directors of series one and Emerald Fennell and the directors of series two to say, well, this is her true self. No, we've been getting peaks of her true self in various scenes in series one, what we were talking about from when they first meet up to the last episode, Come With Me, to series two, the ruins, like, literally cracks and peaks of Villanelle's self. Right. Amsterdam yes. are yes. coming through and I would have preferred if the statement was like, Oksana is in residence, like Oksana makes a visit usually, but right now she's in residence, like a DJ, like she's here to stay temporarily while she's in Russia. I just don't like the idea that, oh, we've never seen anything true of Villanelle until she got to Russia. I mean... Even because how would I believe? How would right, I believe her right. if I never saw anything true? If I never saw the bitch cry or emote, how would I possibly believe her? Like you get a scene with Villanelle and Adasha. You notice that they fall back into familiar habits because they've known each other from years past. So it's like the regression of the endurance of the relationship brings out and what was regressed so when you have a familiar tie a bloodline tie that's like well they knew her from when she was like baby to you know young child so but it's not even they you, it's two it is two, two humans it's just the the brother and the, the mother brother, and he can't remember his own dad so right it's interesting so she, now he remembers his sister but that's neither here nor there i mean her and how soft she got when she was like um you remind me of grandma and then of course her falling into uh, just a behavioral expectation to give and receive with her brother and mother present is that's the only thing you can say that is from, you know, her trying to re relive something that she may have tried to experience in the past. But that's not saying that she hasn't been authentic or real up, up until this point in the series. You can't, you can't omit any of her real emotions or, experiences with happiness you, you you can't discount those you can't say that they're not heavily or equally important you, you just can't do that yeah well let's finish up with this this little article you sound right. like you're musing and uh, no, i don't know, I know why know. you keep musing in every All section right. but the musings because i saw your musings and they're pitiful ha ha ha, there's, ha, ha, ha. there's hardly anything there <laughs> because you said you were salty about the episode I, I, listen but you're out here musing in revelations <laughs> uh, she said, I also felt that's why that episode had to happen in isolation, because we're only ever going to see that side of her and that vulnerability when she's removed from the rest of the world. What? I that's, really felt I we had to take her back to Russia and put her back in that family dynamic for that part of herself to really be revealed. That is not part of herself she would ever show anyone else. But she's already... Okay, you know what? I'm, I'm, this is me shushing myself. Candace, hush. I mean, I have... I have just hush, just Candace. Right. Just hush it. Whew. The most difficult song for Killing Eve to clear was in that episode. <laughs> By the time Villanelle rocks out to Crocodile Rock, you really get a sense of what her family life was like. 
She just starts to loosen up and it cuts to commercial right when she joins in the sing-along. Heathcote worried she would not be able to use that song. <laughs> we were incredibly lucky to get it. I think Sandra O oh wrote to Elton John. I feel like that's something she should know for sure. And Sandra O oh deserves like 16 bouquets of flowers and a really expensive bottle okay. of Beyonce's champagne. Because what? I just, I just, wait a minute. What, what Suzanne is suggesting is that Sandra O's oh awesomeness and coolness and just like whatever industry history and just people being like, oh my God, Sandra O oh is so cool. That she, she of the people connected to Killing Eve, Sandra O oh is the one with the power and the jaunt to be like, let me just check my Rolodex. Elton. I'm going to hit him with a text, y'all, and I'm going to let you know what he says. Because what? Wow. <laughs> Let's see. Everyone said, we're never going to get that. I wrote that in a script. I love Elton John, so I've been listening to a bunch of songs, which I often do when I'm writing for inspiration. And I thought, what could the song be? I really wanted something upbeat and kind of zany. Then I started playing Crocodile Rock, and I wrote the scene with that song playing. Everyone loved it and got a really good reaction from the network and the cast and everything. But everyone was like, we're never going to get that. It's going to be so hard to get the permission for it. Thank goodness Elton agreed. I'm so pleased. I just think it's one of those bonker moments that I'm very attached to. Well, I mean, Elton should be pleased because the BTS said they licensed a bunch of photos and with Sandra O's help, they cleared it. But I know Elton still got paid. So I, he's like, thank you, Killing E, for paying homage to me and paying some bills. Y'all right. are the best. Right. <laughs> Literally, my face was all over that boy's wall, and you played my songs. That really, this is all an artist can ask for is to receive love and adoration and get some bills paid. So, I think the biggest winner from this episode is actually Elton John. He oh, wins, yeah. he trends, his fashions and his music potentially were exposed to people who haven't heard it before, which makes sense given the generation that knows him best. So, WWW, is that the end of that article? Oh, yes, that does conclude that article. Some of those sentences were, I found them inflammatory just for myself, no. but it, yes. it's an interesting way to see how other creatives see parts of the show. But obviously my biggest disagreement is that whole thing about the true villanelle, but I will save my ridiculousness for the music. All right. So what is my next revelation here? Oh, so Jodie Comer had a number of interviews, as you guys might imagine, different people with different sentences and statements because of this past episode and all that went on. But probably the best, I think, um, most intriguing was the L article, not L Canada, just L US, because I don't see like a Brit, Britain L, Brit, Brit L. So I assume it's regular L. I don't, I don't know. But um, a couple of you listeners also sent this article and were like, hey, could you, could you read it? Could you please read it and do your, your guys' analysis? So yes, that's what we're doing. So this article from L is entitled Jodie Comer on returning Villanelle to her roots in that fiery kill. Killing Eve's Villanelle is merciless and reckless and follows no moral code. She easily snaps the neck of a child she befriends and consoles, employs another to lure his grandfather to his death, and strangles a man by his tie with an elevator, all with no bearing on her conscience. In fact, the only empathy we've seen from Villanelle is directed at the woman she loves. <laughs> well, what a way to start this article. <laughs> Eve Palastri. Yes. And even that dissolves with a bullet in the season two finale. Wait, wait, wait a minute. See, why? Is this why y'all said just... this to me to fuck me up? Unreal. Unreal. So what? She, oh, the only empathy we've seen is directed at the woman she loves, but it, it dissolves with a bullet in the season two finale. I won't say it dissolves. This is just how Villanelle deals. But anyway, let me finish reading. No kill ever had any real meaning until Villanelle had her most personal face-off to date with her own mother. Any real meaning. 
I would say I, that Anna's husband's knob has some meaning to her, despite sure that, especially because of how it sent the cycle of events for her going to jail. But all right. Episode five is the Killing Eve interlude fans have been pining for. Wait, wait a minute. Did they just call that episode an interlude? <laughs> this whole sentence is bad. This whole sentence is a, is a dub. Let me reread it. Episode five is the Killing Eve interlude fans have been pining for. No Eve, no Dasha, and no 12 agenda. So- Just one hour devoted to uncovering Villanelle's past. Well, I can't say that I have been pining for no Eve or no Dasha or no 12 agenda because it's the opposite. I have been pining, pining deeply and intensely for Dark Eve. So that is a big, fat, no, no, incorrect, fallacy, fiction. Where's my Jonathan Franks? Pure fiction. We made it up. Fiction. That's we a made lie. This one up. That's not oh, real. Made up. Oh. <laughs> it's total fabrication. It never happened. It never it happened. happened. It never happened. So, uh, mm. the fear of hiring all these people to enter into series three was that there would not be enough room for all of the thespians to do their piece, to be able to shine. Um, our concerns were with Villain Eve and their screen time. And Yes, d- dedicating an episode to I, I I was one of the people who thought we needed to see a bunch of extra shit about Villanelle in the first fucking place. So obviously I will take the development and stuff because, you know, Jodie Comer is a great actress and she was doing the damn thing. But it's I, pining. Where's the poll? This sounds like those Fox polls that who are you polling? Oh, right, because I didn't see that poll. All right. So after that ridiculous sentence, um, the hot tempered assassin travels to find her mother, Tatiana, and her brother, Papa Chulo, with the bangs, <laughs> and gets a taste of the family she so longed for, <laughs> including an Elton John-obsessed half-brother for whom she develops a soft spot. Villanelle attends a local festival, flips through photo albums, and plays games at the dinner table. But after the tearful reunion with her mother, she learns Tatiana dropped her off at an orphanage because she felt a darkness looming over her daughter. When a childlike prank doesn't amuse her mother, the two engage in a fiery exchange that ends with Villanelle telling her mother through teary eyes, I think I have to kill you. In the next scene, Villanelle's half-brother flees the house toward the barn where Papi Chulo with the bangs sleeps as the family farmhouse explodes in flames with Villanelle's mother and step-siblings inside. Where does this leave the cold-blooded killer? As we see the final moments of the episode, Villanelle is on a train dancing to the beat of her own heartbreak and fury, presumably ready to resume her killing spree. Is Eve next? Yo, this writer is a hot mess. Don't, don't. This article is long enough, so just save it. Keep it. Okay, ahead, Jodie Comer opens up about Villanelle's family reunion, Dasha's reappearance, and Villanelle's future following that explosive final scene. All right, so the first question is, what excited you the most when you read that season three would be, would delve? Wait, what? It's the grammar groceries. It, yeah, says, it yeah. says, you guys, the sentence is, what excited you the most when you read that season three would be delve into Villanelle's past? And <laughs> L, L magazine, <laughs> L. I guess L Canada is killing it because I didn't see these grammar uh, groceries in the other article. But this is, there's an editor. There's an editor. Jody won an Emmy. She doesn't deserve this disrespect. <laughs> I imagine they mean to say, what excited you the most when you read that season three would be delving into Villanelle's past? Jodie responds, delving into her personal side even more. We see Villanelle in a very different light this season. Everything we know and love about her from the first two seasons is a reflection of what we learn this season. There's a vulnerability to her that we don't normally see. Different from the wit and humor and togetherness, the money and the apartment she usually provides. After episode five, Villanelle takes a slightly different, darker path. Mm. That is intriguing. Returning to Russia did more harm than good is the next question. How did that moment with her mother further damage Villanelle's already damaged soul? Oh, is that? She's a- angel? That was... A damaged soul? A She's... damaged What's soul? That? She's a... 
I can So was she pure of heart before? What? You know what? Let's. Okay, Jody answers. Uh, when she finds out she's actually not dead, it opens up a realm of possibilities. I don't think she really had a plan, but she knew there was a lot about the mother-daughter connection left unsaid. Villanelle has an expectation of what it's going to be like, and then she meets her mother, and she's overcome with all these feelings. She recognizes a lot of herself in her mother, good and bad, but that wasn't a connection she was ready for. All she really wants is to feel loved, and she couldn't even get that from her mother. Aww. She wanted to fit in and finally have a family, but too much has happened between them. The exchange at the end was so deeply personal, and killing her mother at the end of the episode changes her for the foreseeable future. We always see her doing these things that are kind of meaningless to her. It's her job, and there isn't any deep-rooted connection. Whereas killing her mother is something she'll never really shake off. Next question is, after killing her mother, is there a place for family in Villanelle's life? Jody answers, no. <laughs> well, this confirms what I was saying about Papachulo and Borca. Is there is no room left, and considering how she left it, girl, that's for the best. Okay, no. She actually realizes that after the episode. Her time in Russia left her hurt and angry, and in episode six, you see her trying to form some sort of family out of the people she knows. Aha. So presumably this is Constantine and Adina and yeah. potentially Dasha and hopefully eventually Eve. But Dasha, that's, well, Villanelle's spinning, so I guess she would potentially be grabbing on or trying to grab on to anything. So, okay. Constantine really is the only one. Villanelle realizes she couldn't fit in with her family in Russia and she feels very comfortable around the misfits she's surrounded by and seeing this life she could have led. But again, no. Going back filled her with so much hope, but she quickly realizes she's only got herself. She's her own worst enemy in that regard. Next question. Dasha appears to be a mother figure to Villanelle, but I can't help but wonder if her presence helps or hurts Villanelle in the long run. Girl, definitely hurt. But Jody says, oh, Dasha brings nothing but hurt to Villanelle. At one stage, they definitely had a nurturing relationship. Dasha trained Villanelle, but then risked Villanelle's life and was deceitful to her. Really? Well, so thanks, Jody, for that little piece of information. Whatever Dasha did, endangered Villanelle. Okay. That's something that Villanelle has never forgiven. When Dasha initially appears, there's nothing but bad feelings. And of course, Villanelle knows how dangerous this woman is because she dealt with her firsthand and learned everything she knows about killing from her. They're cut from the same cloth in many ways. They're constantly playing their own games. And I think it's really interesting to see how that plays out this season. This next question is like, choose your fighter, Dasha or Villanelle? Villanelle! Especially after what Dasha Still did with Nico. <laughs> God. How, what an embarrassment if gotta you're an be, assassin. Gotta be quicker than that, Dasha. No, what is, where was the force, girl? Where was the twist? If she just would have twisted it, Nico would have been out to paint. Anyway, uh, the answer is they're both worse in different ways. I think Dasha is probably more malicious, if that's even possible. Mm. The physical danger of the two is something I always struggled with. Physically, I can say it's Villanelle, hands down. But from a mental side, Dasha is very vindictive. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. is an inch. Well, you, can, you can't say yeah because we haven't seen enough vindictiveness from Dasha. That's something coming. Like at the best we've seen right now is what she did to Nico. But I assume Jody is talking from the framework of I shot the whole season and Dasha is going to do some fuck shit. Because I still think whatever Dasha is in cahoots with, with the lady in red or whatever else is revealing itself potentially in this upcoming episode. And then, of course in the last two. Next question. Eve was nowhere to be found in episode five, but she's still on Villanelle's mind. Well, thank you for saying it, Elle interviewer. Definitely. Jody answers. After finding out she's alive, Villanelle wants to see for herself how Eve's living and coping since what happened. For once, she really doesn't know what she has planned. I think Villanelle wants to be in the flesh. It was always difficult because we know Villanelle is an assassin. She's good at her job and always shoots to kill, but it made no sense for Villanelle to be toying around with Eve in that moment. 
How do you think what happened between Villanelle and Eve changes their dynamic going forward? She answers, we've definitely found a new dynamic. We're used to the women meeting toward the end of the series and both have their guards down. I know for me and Sandra, it was becoming quite difficult to keep meeting with aggression. It felt tedious. We have to move forward in some way. I think we found a very natural way of doing that in regards to what happens in Villanelle's story and what happens in Eve's story and the way in which these two women come together in the end. I don't think we've ever seen them in this way. We've seen them at odds and we've seen them trying to work together and that didn't work. I don't want to give too much away, but everyone has their own vision of what this relationship is supposed to be like. Not everyone's always going to be happy, but I do think we try to stay true to the characters. Um, so I guess I should pause here for a second because, I mean, there's one more question, but that's... um. That's loaded. It is loaded. What do you think of it? A number of people have sent like parts of the screenshot of this answer to be like, what do you think? What do you think she means? I've seen, well, I've seen both interpretations, but more so on the negative. But I feel like the fandom is prone to panicking. And so they generally go to whatever um, negative connotation can be said. But there's nothing that Jody has truly indicated to say this is something we should be concerned about. Right. So the absolute worst case scenario for me to infer from that line would be how Eve initially viewed Villanelle when she met with Carolyn and tried to get a er early AM alcoholic beverage where she's like, you know what? If somebody's outsmarting the rest of us and killing men, I mean, that has nothing to do with me. I mean, whatever. Let her do whatever she wants. So maybe that's just her throwing her hands in the air to be like, you know what? You do you, boo-boo? I, I mean, it's not like I'm with MI6 anyway. I'm not trying to hunt you or whatever. Um, you already told me you would not hear from me. So do whatever it is that you do. And then don't you don't have to worry about me standing in your way. Parts of that I agree with. Um, other parts, I'm like, it's too abstract. Because, yeah, this season has been a little bit unfocused <laughs> in terms of what are we doing here? and Why are we doing it? But I think the, I mean, this is kind of like also a revelation within this revelation is that I really feel like these last three episodes are going to make or break this season. And we sort of already knew that from when the reviews came out and everyone had up until episode five. And a lot of reviewers were like, we're not sure where the season is going. We're not sure what the point of this is. And we've mused about how if you can't see Dark Eve, you can't see the point. But we are at that place where it's make it or break it for Suzanne, Laura, and the rest of the team because people have thoughts and feelings about this standalone Villano episode. Some people are completely thrilled and happy with it because of the emotional development we get from Villanelle and what that can mean for her character and Villanive going forward. Other people are pissed that they feel like there was filler and other people are just like, where was my Eve? And the rest of the characters and all of those viewpoints are valid. And so it's... Whatever goes down in the last three will decide how people think of and remember season three. And so I just really hope I've still got all my clown makeup and my optimism where that's concerned. But that's sort of like one of my other mini revelations is that this is it. This is the trajectory. We are either going really far up in terms of Wee! we're having a great time or are we going down to the pits of despair. I don't, down, know what, down. I don't know which it is, but at least we are all going on this journey together, you guys. And I guess let me read this last question here. Speaking of staying true to your characters, Villanelle's costumes this season are bigger and better. That's a lie. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No disrespect to the current wardrobe person, but I just 
Villanelle's costumes this season are bigger and better. Now, bigger, I would agree with, because just that green um, Snuffleupagus Oscar the Grouch Episode outfit is very big. It's very bold. Coming. It is probably the most extreme thing Jody's ever worn. But I'm sorry, you can't you can't give me the Molly Goddard. You can't give me the, the blazer that was Bill's undoing. You can't. Yes, that you, outfit. You. And Jody herself is like, no, that's still. That's the outfit. Still, to series three. That's my, my outfit. Favorite, That's right. my favorite fucking thing. It's my so, outfit too. My favorite one too. Good Lord. Did I finish reading that? I didn't. Right. Because I just sort of got stopped by the question being bigger and better. Bigger and better. Uh, the last bit was, do you enjoy dressing up in high fashion? And she replies, I always like Villanelle more when she's thrown into these situations she's not ready for. Like the pajamas or the hospital gown or being locked in Julian's house. Me too. I always enjoy the, those more than the high fashion. Even though getting to wear those ridiculous, gorgeous clothes is a dream, one of my favorites from this season is the huge green fur jacket we packed in at the end. I always come away from each season with a list of items I want to buy for myself. But do you, Jody, Or is it just the list? Because I feel like you say this every season, and then people ask you, like, what do you have? And you're like, oh, I don't... Nothing. <laughs> and so that is the end of that article. I know you wanted to jump in and scream in the beginning, and I was like, just stop so I can get through this. Do you remember what that was? I just, there was a lot of reaching. There was a lot of reaching. <laughs> it might have been the damaged soul part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot disrespectful. Lord. I mean, I guess they feel like they're trying to just connect with the actress and how they're viewing the role and is just assuming that that's where they both mutually, like, stand. Right. But even then, you, you have to be uh, kinder to... A little bit. To, Just a little uh, bit. Someone that everyone's <laughs> vying over or vying for or rooting at least for us. Uh, Just that uh, sentence about everyone's pining. <laughs> Look, uh, that was this article, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, no, no Dasha. No E. Right. No See, that's wild to me. Um, I will just say the one lasting thing that I get from this article that really matters for me outside of just like the little tidbits and shit is that like Sandra O indicated where I believe um paraphrasing, but she was like, their relationship drops a decibel. And also that statement, people were like, oh, it means that we're never going to get Villain Eve. Outside of the fact that Sandra basically does alchemy with her words when she's talking, I think what they're trying to tell us is that the antagonism, the fear, the apprehension that we've seen with Villain Eve at the same time they're manifesting these ridiculously sapphic, seductive moments will shift. And all the evidence that we're getting up until now points to, yes, that's true. And yes, it has to. Because as we've said in previous snacks, Eve isn't the same person, period. No. So she can't be the same way with Villanelle that we've seen her in the previous two series because she's a different fucking human at this point. And Villanelle, after killing her mother, is also a whole different animal. She is Voxana. I know they're saying Oxana, but I'm like, you can't just completely revert to who you were. Like, you evolve. And so I think, like the Jim Morrison quote, the mask that Villanelle has been under, the pretty little mask, the Villanelle mask, her mom fucking her up has cracked that shit. And... Oksana is bleeding through and there's nothing you can do. And it's kind of like light, actually, because you know how light is. You can't you can't bottle it. I mean, you can right, scientifically, you can try, but you yeah. can't. And so once that container is broken, it's just sort of like a wanton release of energy. And that's where I feel like Villanelle is right now. Just like a big, unpredictable ball of fission. <laughs> and maybe there will be an explosion. I just don't know. But thank you guys for sending us the articles, making sure we see them. I hope we sufficiently mused about what Jody said here. If there was something else you wanted addressed, um, you know, definitely let us know and we will hit it up in the next snack. But yeah, I 
that article writer needs to get their life together. But oh, otherwise, great. some good insights. What do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say I 100% agree with everything that I heard, but bigger and better. Well, there are things to look forward to, and we have to experience them to be able to identify why certain things were said. I, I don't know what these writers had access to. Maybe they got to see more seasons than we did, episodes. Maybe. But I I, I doubt that... Uh, the trajectory of six, seven, and eight will put me in a mindset to 100% identify with every sentiment that this article writer had. But, you know, we'll see as the episodes roll out and the spoilers spoil the internet. <laughs> oh, God. Direct from Killing Eve. All right. And so this article from W Magazine uh, is titled, Jodie Comer Muses on Villanelle's Future in Killing Eve. Already this title has got me, um, I don't know, uh, quaking in my seat. But you know what? <laughs> we're we're going to just dive through. That's what I'm going to do. As Villanelle, Killing Eve's morally dubious antagonist, Jenny Comer has been through it. Until this point in the season... <laughs> the I need to get myself under control. Until this point in the season, the show has cornered itself with uncovering the truth of Kenny's untimely death, unpacking the relationship between Dosh and Villanelle, and pitying a very depressed. I feel like Eve. unpacking is is it's. I'm sorry, you you barely are into this article, and I'm already ripping it apart. I just feel like unpacking, unpacking with Dasha and Villanelle is a reach. We have gotten nowhere significant with Dasha and Villanelle's backstory. But yes, please continue. So sorry. Isn't it about time we get a little more backstory on our favorite <laughs> stylish serial killer? There it is. So when Villanelle embarks on a trip to Russia to find her family, it's a welcome change of pace. Um, this episode I guess. is I guess. all Villanelle all the time. With no interruptions from the various international spirings within which she's entangled. Just pure, unmitigated family bonding. Okay, pause. I'm sorry. Pause, 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 pause. Because I just remembered I forgot to say this when you were covering the Suzanne article. I don't know if AMC remembers this, but they are a basic cable channel. There are commercials. This isn't HBO. This isn't Showtime. This isn't Stars. So even though they think shit is flowing... Like, it's just flowing. It's not with the ads. Yeah, which ads is why I maintain killing. that they could have put Eve clips in there. And it wouldn't have mattered because the commercials already take us the fuck out. Or how about this? Eve in the first half and then Villanelle in the back half. And then you don't split. There's no cutting. It's just sort of this is done and this is done. So I, I disagree with that because I just feel like, and this is a horrible phrase, but many ways to skinny cat. <laughs> okay. That's, that's all. At the end of the episode, true to form, Villanelle sets her house on fire and lets her mom die in a blaze. So much her mom was already dead. Thank Sorry. you. No. Sorry. Right. So much for a happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Comer explains the catalyst for Villanelle's turning point reveals just how much she actually does love Elton John. And what makes the case for why audiences shouldn't be afraid when the characters we were introduced to in season one ended up changing. Something for the better and sometimes for the worse. Did you ever expect Villanelle to meet her family? The response? I knew the way in the... I knew the way in which to... I knew... <laughs> oh, the sun is giving me the gauchers. <laughs> Let me get my shit. Okay, go ahead. Start again. I knew the way in which her past was going to pop up some way and she was going to actually have to face something. 
but to actually have her meet her mother. I'm sorry. I thought it was very daring. My accent is fucking me up right now. <laughs> I think it's because the sun is up. I can't. Oh, Lord. Y'all, um, <laughs> s- send your retroactive hopes, uh, thoughts, and prayers because we is struggling with the focus. Um, the sun is here. <laughs> And we are trying to be professionals. Okay, right. I'm sorry. It's me. I have the problems. Um, I actually think it was hopefully re- really well played. Our biggest challenge was to show her past, but not to excuse her decisions that she's made now. It's really interesting seeing how it brings up Villanelle's vulnerability and humanity and her emotional side. Mm. All of that takes her by surprise. But it was so rewarding because Shannon Murphy came in and directed this episode. I think if anyone else was directing it, we wouldn't have gotten the result that we got. She was really fantastic and brought in this new energy with her. She really dared us all to have fun and take risks. I think it pushed everyone to find these little nuances throughout. Uh, the next question. The episode takes place in Russia, but where did you film it? Romania. <laughs> killing right. Sorry for oh, killing no, even using Romania for Look, Russia yeah. since the beginning. Response, right. We filmed it in Romania. I'm really glad because the first time we went to Romania, we didn't get, we didn't have great reviews. However, this time we went back and I couldn't tell you the exact place, but we were about four, a four hour drive outside of Bucharest. We were in the middle of the mountains. It was supposed to snow, but we actually had like 24 degrees Celsius heat. There was bear warnings where we were. Oh, wait, there were I bear I feel like there warnings. is no bigger <laughs> sign that Jody's a goddamn Brit than her saying 24 degrees Celsius right. was heat. Heat! All of y'all from the islands or from the, the, if you're in the U.S., the southern states, the warm states, y'all know that heat is 95, not 20 degrees. Oh, I'm sorry that I'm talking about Fahrenheit versus oh, right. uh, Celsius. So, uh, the way that works out is 24, that's, that's 70, about 75, 75. Right. So, but that's still, but he though, no. <laughs> yeah, I think it's 35 degrees Celsius, but yeah, no. Um, oh, Liverpool. Oh, wait. I was trying to, what do they say? Liverpoolian? Uh, oh, I, I think I it's Liverpoolian. I, I mean, it could be. Liverpoolian. I, lots of letters. My bad, y'all. Oh. <laughs> Liverpool <laughs> residents. So sorry. Uh, there were bear warnings when we were all staying <laughs> and filming. It was kind of a magical experience. You sound like the little girl that's saying Jamie. What is happening, Terrence, with this interview? Okay. Lord. Um, the village in which we shot, they used the local people as production assistants. And it was very immersive. So shout outs. I guess I should have been vacationing in Bucharest right. to get me a little internship mm-hmm. for the scoop. And we felt like we were cut off from the rest of the world, which I think was great to feel Villanelle. But being this foreign place would have been home. And to see her experience that for the first time. Next question. How has your understanding of Villanelle changed this season? Was there a shift? Hmm. Her response. Absolutely. I think it comes more apparent (laughs) to me as each season goes on. Uh, It's so hard because, of course, people fall in love with the show and they know it. And then these characters grow and change and sometimes they morph into a new mold. I love Villanelle's tendencies and characteristics, but... It just felt like we needed to give her more in regards to substance. I've always felt there was this undercurrent to her, this visceral feeling within her of needing more and wanting more and not quite knowing how to deal with that and having to process these things that she feels. This season from episode five onward was a really great experience in the sense of discovering something new and then trying to think of how to take this into season four. It's so important that we continue to grow with these characters, but... 
also try to stay true to what it is that they were experiencing. That's pretty fucking vague. Ultimately, it's very it's a very vague answer. She's like, I want my girl to soul search. Yes, she, we, we we. I mean, of course, it. she wants more meaty stuff to chew on because, of course, of course, you want more cool stuff to do. But no real answers as to what a villanelle has been grown because we really can't see the fruits of this family episode until we see where the fuck are y'all Elise, going? Where right, are exactly, Eve right. and Dasha and the rest of the crew? Ooh, the next question for Jelly is. This episode opens an entirely new window into Villanelle, leading the viewer to finally understand a little bit more clearly where she comes from and why she interacts with Eve the way she does. Excuse me. I have to stop you. I'm about to be a rude hoe. But I was looking at the answer and I'm like, I'm going to read this answer because I think this is the one answer that I really like from Jody Kobe here because did you finish the sentence or was I just rude and cutting you off? Oh, oh I'll finish it. It's okay. But I mean... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, where, 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 okay, I was here somewhere. In this episode, we don't see Eve or any other main character that builds out of the world of the show. But what do you think <laughs> Eve would do if she saw Villanelle or Oksana, as her family would call her in this environment? All right, so uh, yeah, this answer was fly. For me, because it gets to the heart of one of my muses. And Jody says, it's almost like this is the Villanelle that Eve sees deep down. A question I often get is, what is it about Villanelle that Eve likes? It's something I've never really been able to put my finger on, but there were a couple of moments in this season toward the end between Eve and Villanelle, and I think there was an acceptance. Sometimes Villanelle should wise up and open her eyes a little bit more, but she's being told what to do and ordered around, and then her mom gives her thoughts on what she thinks about her, and with Eve, she knows what Villanelle is and has always been kind of accepting of that. I think Villanelle is really struggling with that in her own body. So... I just like what she said. I'm going to just leave it there and try to keep it to my muses because I know this is a packed snack episode. But yeah, I just really enjoyed that answer. All right. Next question. So Eve accepts Villanelle for who she is while the world rejects her. And near the end of this episode, we witness Villanelle being rejected by her own mother. And Jody's response. Yeah, I think she's had this huge sense of longing and wanting to belong. And where else are you going to find that other than your actual family? Yet she goes there and it's still inaccessible. She still can't get a grasp on it. Not only that, but her mother didn't want her. I think it opens up the conversation of her and Constantine's relationship and what did he actually expect of her. <laughs> so I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Irish. I know. Lord, Lord. <laughs> and what did he actually expect of her to go there? And why did he bring this up in the first place? It's so complicated. These people all intertwined with each other. Actually, Jody brings up something that I was thinking about, too, that is super interesting because there's no way that Constantine has been dealing with Villanelle these past few years, knowing her profile and all this stuff, and did not expect for bad behavior to follow her trip to Russia. And so the fact that he gives her her request, finds her family so quickly... I'm sort of wondering about Constantine's interest in destabilizing Villanelle as well. But, you know, you know what I think about Constantine, that he's on some shit that's going to result in him losing his life. But, yeah, I just I wanted to point that out as well. No, that's true. You know, it's like, you better have a plan. So he's working on it, I guess. A plan to die. Or <laughs> escape during the chaos. Something. If he's lucky, Good but luck. I doubt it. Right. Until this episode, it's pretty clear that Villanelle is a morally dubious serial killer. <laughs> You've thrown your phone. Sir, I'll take over for this question. But something about watching her... 
was something you know, the way you just placed your phone down was something this is the messiest snack I don't want to violently this dis- is the messiest snack like, we've had I'm in a while entitled it's to fine. disagree it's and, okay. like you're entitled to your opinions but let me I'll yeah I'll do this one for you but something about watching her own mother reject her for a second time seems to demand empathy from the viewer well you know what Villano has done other things to demand empathy from the viewer but sure okay all right okay ultimately it continues. Villanelle decides she has to kill her mother and remains true to herself. Well, that's interesting I just, way to put it. Okay. Do you feel that, do you feel like that's the thesis statement of this show in a way? I, wow. I feel wow. like Jody made wait, a face. Wait, wait. Uh, she, I, if we could see her, she might have made one of those faces like we've seen in the interview where it's just like, oh, um, mm, okay. All right. Well, uh, let's see how she answers. Yeah, I think also that's the only way she knows how to deal with it in that moment, truthfully. It's the only way she knows she will fully get away from it. I think you're right. She goes to Russia with the idea of letting go of Oksana, and actually it's Villanelle whom she cuts the ties with, this person she's created. It becomes very apparent to her that she cannot get away from herself. We meet Villanelle in season one, but I've always said Villanelle is this candy-coated exterior, this ideal that this woman has created herself to be. It's a coping mechanism, and she gets great joy out of her clothes and the expense and living this luxurious life. But I think deep down she wants what everyone else wants. But with the person that she is, she cannot allow herself that. Wow. Interesting. I'm going to have to mull over that some more because it's... It's interesting. If Jody means what everyone else wants, which is to be loved outside of some people for very specific reasons, I would agree that most humans on the planet want to be loved by someone. So I can I can go there. I can go there. You want someone to love you and give a shit about you. Okay. The rest of it, um, I'm going to put a pin in it. But I really like what Jody said about letting go of Villanelle. Again, I don't know that you can actually fully let go of Villanelle because of how many years she spent playing the game. Parts of Villanelle will have to bleed. But I do like this idea of a new person because you can't be Oksana of, of old. Oksana with Anna. That's not possible. Right. So this is a new, a new version of Oksana. But yeah, I'll let you do that next question. Look, it's a whole one line. Right. That should be easy. <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are is what they say. What? There you are. Oh, the statement. I'm going to be lost in the sauce. You're your own worst enemy. Next question. Another key component of this episode was the incorporation of Elton John and his music and looks. Her response, it's kind of amazing. The scene where I got the wig and the glasses on wasn't actually scripted. Well, that's cool. I just got to set and we were in Piotr's room. And you it said was the, it. maybe, maybe not. You said it. And it was the first time seeing all the Elton John memorabilia. There were all these glasses and there was this wig on the stand. I put it on. I walked up to Shannon and was like, there is no way she could not wear this. For a woman who dresses up and takes on all these disguises, this is heaven. This little kid has this room of knickknacks and dress-ups, so we have to put we have to put this on. We ended up doing it in the scene, which of course feels really absurd when her mom comes in and she goes into a panic attack. It's such a nice touch. Cool. I do like that little tidbit. Next question. Elton John's music serves as such a nice through line for the episode, especially when they all start singing Crocodile Rock in the kitchen. Her response, that's my favorite scene. When I think, uh, what I think is also genius is Shannon's cut. The best thing about that scene is Shannon's (laughs) cut because it left me so upset. But one thing more. She cuts it just as you see Villanelle getting up there, getting ready to sing a tune with the family. It's such a hard cut. Oh, randomly thought of Nico because she said hard cut. Oh, man. You are such <laughs> a bastard. 
But I do like that joke, so that's fine. What do you mean the work thing? <laughs> you can, Lord. Uh, you want to see her experience this with them. And I love that scene so much because it's so charming and it's true to who she is. And when these people are dancing around the living room, I think she thinks they're really fucking cool. It's these people just being. I love that scene so much. And next question. Near the end of the episode, Villanelle returns Pietro. Lord. With oh, you know what money? I was going to say? Um, before thought... you go on to your next question is that, I mean, what was the director's name? Shannon? Yeah. Kudos to Shannon. I'm just going to say that, and maybe I said this in the recap, I don't know, but people singing in the kitchen for a familial moment of camaraderie and bonding is actually not very original. I mean, it's a concept. It's a tool that a lot of people have used creatively to create this family bonding thing, which is I thought that's what they were paying homage to, that mm. that thing. One of my favorite films that uses this is Mermaids with Cher and Winona Ryder. Why do I know this? I know that I know this, but where's oh, the Oh, please tell me you know what the movie Mermaids is. Oh, my God. Go, Charisse. Now I have to go to the YouTube. So they're not really singing, but you see what I'm saying? I love Cher. And look at a baby, Christina Ricci, in there. But yeah, Mermaids. Also, here's one that you should definitely remember. Oh, it just left my mind. Practical Magic. Yes. Okay, another one from the 90s since I'm just in there. Stepmom. Julia Roberts and Sharon Stone. Sharon. Sharon. Sharon Stone? Julia Roberts and Sharon Stone are in the same movie? What Wait, movie is this? Is it Susan Sarandon? It's Susan Sarandon. I don't know of any movie that has both Sharon Stone and Julia Roberts. And that's mostly because I'm, I'm more of the Sharon Stone fan than the Julia Roberts fan. So I have not seen all of Julia Roberts stuff, but I have seen Miss Stone. So Susan Sarandon in the movie. Sharon Susan Sarandon Stone. is in there. Okay, so I probably and okay. Julie Roberts plays the young stepmom, and but Susan is dying. Hi to her. And she's upset. <laughs> she's upset that another woman might be replacing her. But yes, it's just a concept that we've seen time and time again that is always very heartwarming. I feel like because ultimately music connects to our emotions, and it's what you do. And so, absolutely, I'm sure the director, you know, stuck her foot in it. I'm just saying that that concept is actually. I would even say it's a bit of a trope because there's so many scenes. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Oh, and before I go into this next question, let me just do a baby correction because they keep calling all of these uh, gadgets and knickknacks. Uh, they're saying they're located in, unless they share a room, uh, Papa Chulo with the, uh, wait, what is he? Papa Chulo with the, with the I don't something. even know what your correction is. Are you talking about Papa Chulo with the bangs? All right. So Papa Chulo with the bang, unless he shares a room with uh, the baby. Because this is Borka's stuff, but the article keeps saying that it's Piotr's stuff. So unless they share a room. Oh, well, I guess that shows how many shits they give about accuracy, saying. but that's... So you're correcting the article is uh, what yes. that is. I see. All right. All right. All right. Um, and the next question is, do you have a personal favorite Elton John song? Oh, my God. My favorite song is... Are you ready? Are you ready for love? Yes, I am. Oh, yeah. It's Are You Ready for Love? <laughs> it's easy for singing. That puts me in such a good mood. Ugh. Whenever that song comes out. Are up. you ready for love? Yes. I guess. The intro Meanwhile, I'm so like, good. hold me closer, time and dance. I think I like, um, she's got electric boots and the motor Count suit. the headlights <laughs> on the highway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Lay me down on sheets of linen. Okay. That could be also my almost famous love. And oh my God, a tiny dancer from Almost Famous. It didn't occur to me before, but yes. that's another fucking song and scene. Right. In which the people pond over the lyrics and mm. melody. 
Wow. From when I was a, a wee baby, and I was like, well, would you look at Goldie Hawn's daughter and what she's doing here? Now, that boy, that was the protagonist. I didn't understand why he was hanging out with the ladies, but whatever. We'll just call that the male perspective and um, move on. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Is there more questions on this article? I'm oh, yes. so distracted. Okay. Do you know if Sir Elton watches Killing Eve? No. I don't. It will be so cool, though. I hope he does. Definitely there's a check that went to Elton John that says Killing Eve slash BBC and not expect for this dude to watch at least one episode. The episode featuring his beloved music. Right. But now we know. In case we didn't say that, I don't think we did. Elton John, he wasn't it like yesterday, actually. He tweeted and he he insta'd saying something. But I believe something to the effect of, oh, Jody, these glasses look good on you or something like that. Yeah, it was cool. It worked. What they wanted to do, which is like, Elton, Elton, please, please, please notice us, (laughs) Killing Eve. Notice us. Give us your stamp of approval. And that he did. I was about to do a tangent on imagine if Ryan Murphy could have spoke to Elton. Like, we would just want one episode but, of, of all the kids singing your songs, like the whole episode. Are you talking about Glee? Yeah. Kill it. Sorry. I'm just saying. Nope. Murder it. I can't return to Glee groceries at this time. So to avoid any future rants, just let's let's close out this article. <laughs> Let us close it out. Uh, I hope he does. Me too. Even if it's just for this episode. It's an ode to him. Next question. Earlier you mentioned Villanelle's penchant for designer clothes, which I think is what entices people to come back to the show. Episode Wait. after episode. <laughs> Yo, this this interviewer is rude. Uh-huh. She said, it's not your talent, girl, and it's not your co-stars. It's the clothes. Wow. If I were Jody, I would have walked out. I'd have been like, yes, ma'am, this interview is over. They ask, what is your favorite look you've worn this season? <laughs> Her response, this season, I love the outfit that she turns up to Russia in. Ooh. She has a sky blue polo neck with a beige short-waisted jacket and checker pants. I don't know why I felt very androgynous, and I love the silhouette of it. It's also felt a little bit off. There was something outdated about it, which I felt was perfect for with where she was going. You said checkered, and I see checked, but do they really mean plaid? Because I feel like none of those words describe the pants Jody was wearing when she arrived in Russia. But I do like what she's saying here about the vibe the outfit was giving off because I did like it. And they ask, and it's the final question, and your favorite look you've worn in the entire series? You know this bitch about to say the green jacket. Yes. Oh, God. I love the suit that I killed Bill and me, Oh, right. Too. The entire series. What you're going to say the right. season, but the oh, entire no. series, the yes. The entire yes. series. Yes. yes. The bill jacket yes. is epic. Nothing can replace it. Oh, well, actually, maybe something could. Maybe something could. But that thing hasn't happened. She was very powerful looking in that blazer. Very powerful. That whole getup. Her BDE. Yes. Was mayhaps at the highest it's ever been just because of how she killed Bill. And second tier, second tier, but kind of t- kind of tying. And this actually ties into um, one of the Feral Fandom Friday things we got, which was like a, a ranking of Villanelle's outfits. So I guess I'll just hold on to what I was about to say until I get there. But yes. All right. Um, I was so comfortable in it. And I think it was so cool in regards to the movement of going after Bill and the kill within the club. I think that kill was so huge and profound that it, it really kind was. of has a really long lasting memory. But honestly, as much as I hated the bandana, I really loved the prison uniform. Ooh! That's prison, a great number two. Prison villanelle. When favorite. we get her in these moments, whether it's the prison uniform or the 10-year-old boy's pajamas, uh, these moments of discomfort for her when you actually see her getting thrown out of her comfort zone, I actually really enjoy. It was a huge question for us because going back to the scene on the train, you see her in her mother's jumpsuit that her mother gifted her. And it was a big question for us going forward. Does she stay in the jumpsuit? Is she caring about fashion right now? 
is this something that we should be paying attention to? It was a big question, but we actually went with her trying to see as if she's got her head in the game and she wouldn't want other people to see so clearly that she's somewhat struggling. It's become such a huge factor in everything now. So I'm wondering what they're trying to tell us about the fashions. I'm not sure if I understand that last. Is, do you think that last sentence is about the jumper, the 80s outfit? We actually went with her trying to see as if she's got her head in the game and she wouldn't want other people to see so clearly that she's someone struggling. I guess maybe that has more relevance to future episodes. I just didn't quite understand what she meant by that. It did really read as if they're trying to say if someone caught her in that kind of an outfit, they would have been like... You're manic. You're being crazy. You're not yourself. Well, okay. Are you about to have a mental breakdown? I feel like that can happen in all wardrobes and definitely does in this capitalist society. Folks be living in. All right. Well, that was another juicy interview about Jody, and I guess some insight into where her and the other creatives were trying to go with this landmark episode. Are you from Penna? Say race three. So... Cool. Oh, I was going to say what I think is really interesting. And I wonder if this type of awareness would just have to exist for a queer person. But I just think it's interesting how they're talking about, you know, family and going home and things and stuff. When in terms of creating your family, that's kind of like the queer experience. Uh, a yeah. lot of times is that you don't you can't default. I mean, some people who can are very lucky that they they still have the love and support of their primary family. But we also know that there's a lot of people out there who have to remake their families with their friends and people they meet and care about them because their own blood relatives are a piece of shite. I just think it's something that queer people, and even though it's not a focus point of Villanelle's characterization, she's still queer. It's interesting that all this emphasis is put on home and returning home and not having a home and have people treat you like shit and the shaping her when... Those types of things, and I know I'll get into it more in the muses, they shape a lot of people. But still, you know, to quote Jamie, it's about choices, Villanelle. It's all <laughs> about choices. But anyway, what was what was my next revelation? Oh, it was just a short one before we were getting to the clips, which is that the lyrics from Strange Effect that Unloved covered for episode three, just with all the use of the terminology darkness, 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 by Villanelle and Tatiana, and everyone, I just want to point out if people hadn't made themselves aware or just realized it. But there's a lyric in that song that says, you make my darkness bright. And so I don't know if this is projecting or foreshadowing onto the future of potentially Eve's hopeful acceptance of Villanelle by the season finale. But I hope it is. I hope it is. Agreed. I hope so, too. I mean, even with the other song that played right before the big showdown between Villanelle and her mom, where they kept going, I see the darkness in you. And it was like a repeating line. Well, actually, it depends on if you saw it with commercials or not. But it was a lot of, <laughs> I see the darkness in you when you see her mom is dancing with the <laughs> with the dance troupe on stage. <laughs> Uh, Becky with the good aim, her uh, dance squad. And she's just sitting there with her baby half-brother, all sad and depressed. Borka. Borka. His name is Borka. So, Ooh. oh, I see. <laughs> my last notes here are a mess. Truly a mess. Which was just my, I think that's probably why I was just had the music on, but I was like, <laughs> realization, didn't realize <laughs> that Villanelle's dad is the dad from Tracy Chapman's Fast Car. <laughs> That's not nice. What? Is it not true? Matter of fact, I have the link here, so I'm going to just click it. These, listen to the lyrics. See, my old man's got, got a problem. problem. Yeah, with the bottle, that's the way, way it is. is. His body's too old for work, and 
Mama left him. Wanted more from life than he could give. I said somebody's got to take care, care of him. him. That's the way I did. So literally, Villain, I was like, I quit school. That's what I did to take care of my daddy. And this is hopeful, Villain, now to her mama. And I, I got a feeling that I belong. I, I. I have a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone. And here comes Tatiana with the record skip. Villanelle? No, you can't be anybody. Matter and fact, not in this house. Right. Not in this house. Oh. And Villanelle was heartbroken. Matter of fact, come with me. You and the crime baby. Both of y'all come with me. All right, you stay here and count to 10. We'll be right back in a month. Exactly. So that that was really it i was trying to contain myself with my ridiculousness if you don't have any more revelations we can head over to the clips we have from this week oh yeah let's let's show up or have the people listen along with all of the uh promos previews all right guys so let's start with the early two minutes featuring the lady in red who may be meeting her goddamn demise at the end of the scene and uh fucked up villanelle Désolée que tu sois tombée ta trottinette, chérie, mais mamie, elle me dit que c'est pas grave. Bon, tu veux qu'on mette de la glace dessus So they got this bitch coming into the scene like, look, she has a family, she has a child. They haven't said she has a man, so right now she's queer. She's a gay. Look at Villanelle, she is. Welcome. A hot mess. Helen, you have to notice that she looks like this. Let's sit over there, shall we? Small, comfortable. Comfortable. Sound like that. I wanted to meet you for a long time. Oh, I've been watching you. Watching to Villanelle means watching me and I kinky. Yeah, it means kinky shit because that's the only way she watches Eve. It's always kinky. Notice how the lady in red does not answer that question. She sidesteps. She's like, bitch, you just called me extraordinary. Are you trying to get inside my pantalones? She's like, I'm sorry, it's my it's my family again because you know I'm a real person with a family. Why don't you tell your your person you're What is your name? Elena. Elena. Is that your real name? <laughs> She's like, are you giving me the read details though? Watch me some more. Oh my god, Villanelle looks such a mess. Can somebody hug Villanelle? She might just murk Ellen in the end of this scene because she is. Where's Eve? We need Eve to get to Villanelle's back. It's official. I still can't believe it's It's official. You're a keeper. Ellen, how do you know that Villanelle doesn't drink champagne? <laughs> I mean, she takes the champy, but I don't think Villanelle will drink that champy when we see the scene. Although she could, because she's acting real crazy. So I don't know. Um, okay, that is, that's a lot. It's a lot. I will keep my Lady in Red musings in the muse section, but wow. And Villanelle, of course, is hot mess. Now onto this next scene featuring Constantine at the hockey game that Adina is playing in. And Villanelle surprises both of them there. <laughs> being still in her her manic panic situation. Oh, 
Corner is like, who is this? What are you doing? Mother. I love Loki. Arena's good. I was the other team. It is? Yes. <laughs> Go other team! Villanelle. They are still hot dogs here. You can't watch sport without a hot dog. Villanelle. Oh dear. He's like, bitch, if you could just. <laughs> oh dear. Ooh, so Constantine clearly knows something is up. <laughs> I don't want to say he's on some whole wise you here, but he wants to know why. Oh, she's he dead. wants to know. <laughs> and then we know from the other preview that she is like, yeah, I did off my mama. He's like, no, Villanelle, no. But again, I'm with Jodie Comer. And why would you give her the information if you did not want her to do what she uh-huh. does, which uh-huh. is kill people and sometimes extra like a tip. Like, I only went to kill one person, but look, I just gave you four extra, like we got in episode one. So I'm I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical about what Constantine wants or has in store for Villanelle. It just, it, I can't see a positive angle from why he gave her family information. Like I said in the last snack, I was like, how did he get it so fast? How did he get it? And Villanelle couldn't. Spy Villanelle, stalker Villanelle, harasser of Nico Palastri, could not find her basic ass fucking family members. And Constantine just found them. And why would he give her that information? Why? I can see him now. It wasn't my idea. Really? Really? It wasn't your idea? Well, hmm. Constantine. <sighs> what the fuck? Were there any more clips we were supposed to look at? Or were those the two the two major ones? Uh, No, those are the only ones that are on the app. Is the opening minutes, which you played, and the sneak peek, which we With played. Constantine. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for me in Revelations. Finally. <laughs> 